Welcome to the LeanZone.com podcast, where we discuss construction contracts, liens, and bonds. And now, our host, Alex Barthet. Good morning, everybody. My name is Alex Barthet. Today, we're going to talk about the top nine changes to make to your contract to better protect your company. So number one, write it down. Two, uh, avoid just signing the other person's contract. Number three, clearly define your scope of work. Number four, list all the exclusions. Number five, understand the change order process. Number six, verify the schedule. Number seven, understand the payment terms. Number eight, refine the dispute resolution procedures. Uh, and number nine, make sure that the winner gets their legal fees. So let's get started. Number one, uh, write it down. You would be surprised to hear how many folks come to my office uh, and they have a contract dispute and when I ask them for the contract they have nothing. Um, they don't even have a proposal, a quote, they have no form of written agreement of any sort. Um, so the first thing you need to do is make sure that whatever contract you have that it's in writing. Um, uh, a short writing is better than no writing. Uh, a reasonably lengthy writing is better than a very short agreement um, and we'll talk about what are some of the things that need to be included in the document but number one absolutely it should be written down um, sometimes people ask whether or not uh, ha a handwritten agreement is valid absolutely um, what about anything that's uh, electronic uh, does it have to be in paper um, no it doesn't uh, so you can have an email where you outline the terms and conditions of your engagement and the other person responds via email and says yes, um, that's a contract. Uh, you do, it doesn't have to be an original. You don't have to have the original for there to be a valid contract. Um, sometimes people believe that it needs to be notarized. Uh, that's not the case. Uh, there was a recent case uh, that just came out uh, where a, a judge found that a an exchange via text message was uh, enough to create a valid contract between two parties. So it doesn't take much. Um, obviously, the more formal, the better, just so that you have a process and procedure, but it should be in writing. Number two, don't just sign their contracts. Uh, when you think about what I just told you first, which is have it in writing, um, you should be concerned if someone hands you their contract and you sign their contract. The reason is, is that more likely than not, their contract is designed to protect them uh, over you. So um, you are better off uh, reviewing and, and understanding and amending their contract than just signing it. Uh, you don't want to go into this blind. Uh, I would tell you there's still a great number of people that come to my office and when they have a contract, all they did was sign the contract that was handed to them. Sometimes uh, they don't even read it, which is pretty scary. So you need to make sure you read and understand the contract that's been given to you and that you uh, amend it to the extent that you have concerns with what is in it. Now. Related to not just signing their contract that they hand you, you should also be concerned about signing what you believe to be standard contracts. 
Um, so there are two types of standard contracts. One standard contract is when someone hands you a contract and said and says, this is our standard contract, and you believe that to mean that it's a fair contract, and you sign it without uh, reading it. Or even if you read it, you still sign it anyways without making any changes. Um, the second type of standard contract that clients tell us about uh, and that we are aware of is those produced by trade organizations. The most common is the American Institute of Architects, the AIA. Um, there are other bodies that produce similar documents, but uh, while the AIA contract form, if unmodified, is relatively fair to the parties in the transaction, it still could be made better. Um, and you should not just sign that contract blindly either. Number three, so now you understand that you need to have a contract. It needs to be in writing. It can't just be the other side's contract. You need to define uh, what the scope of work is that you will be providing, uh, whether it's just materials, materials and labor, just labor. Um, you need to be very clear in how you define your work. When someone is hiring you and they are giving you their contract, they typically want a very broad definition of the work that, that, that you are going to do. And the reason they want that is they want to be able to have all the opportunities that may exist in the contract to say, no, this is within your scope, even if it is somewhat vague. So a few things to keep in mind. Um, there's a relatively standard sentence that exists in the AIA contract, and it would likely be in any contract that someone gives you for your work, and that is that you're responsible for all work that's shown in the plans and specifications, as well as that which is reasonably inferable from there. So that means that it may not actually be on the plans and specifications, but if a reasonable, reasonable person believes that it should be part of your contract, then a judge could determine that to be the case. So that's one example of a contract provision that is a problem if you have it in your contract um, when someone is asking you to do the work. Uh, because that could expand the scope of your work beyond what you understood it to be. Now, obviously, the when the shoe is on the other foot, meaning you, you are hiring somebody, maybe you're subbing out some of the work, um, you want it to be as broad as possible in what you ask someone to do for you. Um, the other area that we see a problem is when uh, you look at the scope of work, and the way it's defined uh, is very broad, and it includes all of the pages of the plans and specifications. This is something that sophisticated owners and contractors like to do. So if, if a plan set includes the architectural, the plumbing, the electrical, uh, mechanical, structural, uh, when they define your scope of work, if you're just the electrician, um, you'd like it to just be the electrical pages in the plans. So that's a very limited definition of your scope of work. Um, but they would want you to be responsible for anything that's electrically related in all of the plans, whether it appears on the structural pages or the mechanical pages. Um, so that's an example of how defining, clearly defining your scope of work will uh, make a difference. Because in my last example, 
if something was left off the electrical plans but was included in the mechanical plans as an electrical item. If you limited your scope of work to just the electrical pages, then you have a, a, a very good argument to say that that was not in your price. If it's the entire set of plans that relate to electrical work, then even though it appeared on the mechanical set of plans, it would still be within your scope um, and you would likely have to do it for the same price. Number four, list all of the exclusions. Um, there are things that you know that you do um, or that you don't do in, your, in the scope of your work that if someone asked you to do it, it would be an additional price. Um, know that going into the contract and have a, a list of exclusions ready to include in your own contract or when you are reviewing someone's contract that they give to you so that you can articulate to the other side what is not in your price and not in your scope. Um, most people come to me when there's a problem that happens on a job and usually that problem is related to one party believing that something was within their scope and the other party believing that it wasn't. If you have a list of items that you know that you do not perform or you will not provide within your, within your contract price, you should list them out. So any exclusions or limitations, um, those all need to be part of uh, this list of exclusions and you should include it as an exhibit to your contract. Number five, understand the change order process. Um, so when you have to do extra work on a contract, um, there are typically uh, several ways to go about it. Um, if someone asks you to do extra work, ideally you would do that extra work only after there's an agreement on the change order that it's fully memorialized, signed with the change in scope, change in price, and change in time. Uh, defined, signed, and approved before you do the work. The reality is that that is not always the case, and in my experience, it's hardly ever the case. This episode is brought to you by the Miami Construction Forum. This invitation-only group of construction professionals of all sizes and trades meets monthly for an informal lunch and learn session on current topics of interest, from getting paid and safety to bonding and insurance. To see the upcoming topics and request your invitation, visit MiamiConstructionForum.com. So when you, when you are looking through a contract that someone gives you, or if you generate your own contract, you need to make sure that you understand what the change order process is and that most importantly you follow it. So uh, let me give you a specific example. Um, most general contractors that have uh, their own form of, of contract that they give to subs um, or larger subs that give to sub-subs, the, uh, the change order process looks like this. It says you cannot do any work without getting a signed and approved change order in advance. But if we tell you to do other work, um, you agree to keep segregated records related to that extra work and then submit the bill and we will determine later whether or not in fact it was an extra and number two, what, what is the impact on the schedule and the cost based on your uh, separate records that you've kept of labor and materials. Now, 
if you undertake this work, so you get an email and they say, here's a change in the set of plans, please go ahead and price and proceed this with this work. If you don't segregate your own records for the change order process, so you have your uh, men in the field uh, keep separate records associated with just that change order work. So all the materials and all the labor associated with just that item of work are, are kept separate so that you can add them all up and submit them to the contractor. If you don't do that, it's going to be very difficult to submit pricing, um, submit a, a, a change order. Um, but keep in mind that you should demand from the contractor or owner that if there is if someone is asking you to do a change, that they verify that it is in fact a change. And, and the way to do that is that most contracts include what's called a change directive procedure. And that means that a contractor or owner can direct you to do a change, um, but you want, them to, you want to get that written direction from them to do the change. So ideally, they tell you, here's a, a revised uh, page in the plans. Uh, you should, before you do the work, generate a change order, submit it to them, and have them either accept or reject it. And if they reject it, tell them, well, then issue me a change directive. Effectively, direct me to, to do this change work, and then I will proceed. Um, so that you have the necessary paper trail associated with that change. Number six, verify the schedule. Uh, as important as the price in your contract is the schedule. How quickly is the work going to be done? Um, you need to check to see whether or not the agreement has any penalty associated with the failure to timely perform. Um, so you need to look at the schedule, make sure that the schedule is doable. Um, are there any liquidated damage provisions that exist in the contract? And if so, are they reasonable? Do you agree with them? Uh, you can try to add a buffer. So maybe it says that you, the liquidated damages, um, which are damages typically per day uh, for your failure to timely perform your scope of work, maybe it's $500 a day or $1,000 a day. Um, maybe you can add a buffer and say that, uh, that those don't start to run until 30 days after the completion date. Um, know that if you have a contract and it does not have a liquidated damage provision, that doesn't mean that there are no damages for delay. It means that the damages that you may be liable for delay are the actual damages of the contractor and the owner. So as an example, let's assume you, you're, you're a drywall subcontractor on a hotel and the hotel is late and it's late in part because of failure to to timely perform certain aspects of your work. If that's the case uh, and there's no liquidated damage in the contract, the owner may be able to assess against the contractor and the contractor against you their actual damages, which may mean they've had to hire employees and keep them on standby. Um, they couldn't rent rooms and make that revenue. So all of those actual damages that they suffered may be your responsibility even though there's no liquidated damage provision. So when you're reviewing the contract, make sure that you review the schedule as well so that it is something that you believe 
it, that is achievable. Number eight, refine the dispute resolution procedures in the contract. Um, there are three types of, actually four, four types of dispute resolution processes that should be in your, in your agreement. Number one, and always the first line of, of defense to avoid having a legal dispute, is that the executives associated with the, um, the dispute, the, the companies, should have a meeting. So your agreement should say that within uh, a week or two weeks of a dispute that the executives of each uh, organization have to have an in-person meeting to attempt to resolve the dispute. So that's your first level of defense. Your second is if that doesn't work, then the parties should go to mediation. And mediation is a process in which both parties meet, split the cost of a neutral third party who's going to try to facilitate a resolution between the parties. So it's usually uh, an attorney or a former judge, but it can be anybody. You can even define the person uh, in your contract. So if you both agree, you can pick somebody. Um, but if not, most people say in their contract, a mutually agreeable neutral third party. Once that is uh, done and you have this meeting, this neutral third party, the mediator, may be able to bring the parties together to have a resolution of this dispute. And these disputes, by the way, can happen during the course of the job. It doesn't have to be only at the end of the job. Um, the third and fourth are typically uh, mutually exclusive, meaning you can either pick one or the other. One is litigation, that is a, you take your, your case uh, to a judge or a jury and that judge or jury decides who's right and wrong. Your average legal case lasts between 8 and 24 months depending on how quickly things move and, and whether or not the parties can settle quickly or not. It's a very expensive process uh, and as you can imagine takes a long time. Uh, the other way to deal with a dispute is what's called arbitration. Arbitration is a process in which the parties uh, hire effectively a private judge who can be a contractor, an architect, an engineer, a former judge, a lawyer, and that neutral third party acts as a judge. You can either have one arbitrator or three arbitrators. These arbitrators get paid like uh, professionals. So they get paid anywhere from $150 to $450 an hour. Um, so while arbitration may be faster, in, in our experience it's not tremendously faster, and there is an additional cost associated with arbitration because unlike litigation in court, where aside from paying a, a filing fee, you don't pay the judge, in this case, in arbitration, you have to pay all of the costs every time the arbitrator or arbitrators meet and try to decide something. So it's very expensive, but that's the dispute resolution process, and you need to understand how it works before you just blindly agree uh, to one or the other. Uh, finally, number nine, make sure that the winner gets their legal fees. Uh, many people, when they come to my office, they ask, uh, what is the likelihood that I'm going to recover the legal fees that I'm, I may have to pay you, Alex, in either prosecuting this case or defending this case. Um, there are only two ways in the state of Florida to recover your legal fees, and this typically applies in most states. Um, number one, someone is suing 
the other person for violating a statute, a law on the books, and that statute says the winner gets their fees. A good example in construction is the lien statute and the payment bond statute. Typically in those cases the winner gets their legal fees. Uh, number two is if you have a written contract, we'll go back to uh, item one on our list, a written contract, and that contract says that the prevailing party is entitled to recover his or her legal fees. So it's possible you can have a written agreement and that agreement does not say that the prevailing party gets their fees, which means that unless you have another legal statute that says the winner gets their fees, even though you have a written contract, if it doesn't have the right language in it, then the winner will not recover their legal fees. Because litigation is, is so expensive, um, you need to make sure that if you have to undertake the process and you have to go through all the way and spend lots of money with lawyers that you be able to recover, that you're able to recover those fees if you win. Thank you everyone for attending today where we talked about the top nine changes you can make to your contract to better protect your company. Uh, I appreciate all your time. If you have any questions that you think of afterwards, you can email me, alex at barthet.com. We'd be happy to uh, reply right away with answers to your questions. Next week, we're going to talk about how and why you should be writing daily field reports for each of the projects that you manage. Until next time, I'm Alex Barthet. Thanks for listening to the LeanZone.com podcast. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or in your favorite podcast app. For articles, videos, and forms on this and other construction topics, head over to the LeanZone.com.